position this is back. There we go. <laughs> uh, good afternoon. Today I have James with me. Hi, James. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name's uh, James Lefebvre. I'm the author of uh, The Books of Sarah, which is an extreme horror novel set in Liverpool. Um, and it's my first sort of time ever really being interviewed about my book. So you'll have to forgive me if I keep saying things like, um, hang on a second, um, and all that malarkey as well. <laughs> That's fine. I still say um when I ask questions. So. <laughs> that makes me feel much better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you always know that you wanted to be a writer? Yeah, I was one of them weird kids that was always in the library writing on me break, to be honest. Um, probably because I didn't have a lot of friends in primary school because I was also a kid that read a lot. So I spent a lot of time in the library just writing horror stories. And then obviously you think that they're all going to be a masterpiece. And it took me till I was like 38 years old to actually sit down and write a book. <laughs> and what did give you that push to finally sit down and say, okay, I'm going to do it now? My husband, believe it or not, he, um, he kind of brought up in a totally not passive aggressive manner that I didn't finish things that I started. And that was like, well, you know what <laughs> let me show you and then I sat down and finished finished the book because I'd done it as a NaNoWriMo project you know where you have to write so much over a month and then as soon as the month had ended I was like well I didn't finish it okay and then just kind of put it down but he'd read some of it and he was quite intrigued and he was like this is like the fourth unfinished book you've given me please just give me an ending to something that you've written. Um, so I, had, I thought, right, okay, go on then. And then as I kind of carried on writing it, I, you know, I just get more and more into the story you're telling. And then before I knew it, I'd, I'd done my very first draft. And then I had the absolute panic of, oh God, I finally, I finally written a book and I've been saying it for years. Now I'm actually going to have to do something with this book that I've written now. Because I thought the writing would be the hard part, and it absolutely isn't. The, the editing and the rewriting was, is is well harder than actually writing the story for the first time. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I also, <laughs> I've done NaNoWriMo, but mine still, I have added to it since November, but very slowly. So I totally get that. I like, I'm one of those people I work quite well under pressure. So if I've got like a set time frame to do something, I'm great. But then as soon as the pressure's off, I'm like, okay, well, that's done now. I'll, I'll move on to something completely different. Uh, bar, bar, box of Sarah, that one just kind of, that kind of stuck, stuck with me, to be fair. You're also not the first guy. It's usually guys that have been dead or encouraged by their partners to finish a yeah. book. I think you're about the fourth I've heard, I think, which does amuse me. <laughs> I think us boys just need it, to be honest. We just need that little bit of a nudge, to be honest with you. Do you hear my husband has to nudge me to do most of the things that I end up doing? He's like, oh, just come on. You're not phoning in sick. Get to work. Most days, he's like, come on, we're going to work now. <laughs> oh, bless you. You are a funny breed, I don't know. <laughs> we just go with it. <laughs> yeah, simple creatures, really, us boys. That's all it is. Bless you. <laughs> um, so why extreme horror? I didn't kind of mean for it to be an extreme horror. I was just I was just writing the story and then as things were going on, because I, I, I didn't 
I always thought when I was going to be a writer, when I was young, I'd be one of those that I'd have like a mood board and I'd have everything planned out. And I literally had like a scrap of paper where I'd written the start and then the idea. And that was my entire nano remo prep. And that's what I went in to write with. And then as I was writing it, the story just kind of kept unfolding. And it wasn't till I'd read it back and was like, oh, that that wasn't what I was kind of, that was in my brain. And then I gave it to my husband to, to like first proofread. And I was like, I've written this. What do you think? And he he read it and he was like, um, are, are you okay? Is this something you want to talk about? I was like, no, no, it's just my book. And then I sent it off to my first editor. And there, there's a there's a chapter four, there's a specific scene. And he literally was equivalent of red penning it, like a big circle. And he'd just written in the comments like, Seriously, what is this? And then it wasn't until I thought somebody else said that. I was like, have I, have I just read an extreme horror novel? I, I thought I was like a Stephen King, not a Sean Hudson. And it turns out, no, no, I've, I've written an extreme horror. And I, it's just kind of it accidentally happened. That's what I'm sticking with. It was an accident. And I'm too lazy to go back and rewrite it at this point. <laughs> oh, bless <laughs> Um, okay, I love this question, and it's probably quite relevant for you. So you must have killed your characters off in horrible ways. So if you were to be a fictional killer, how would you kill your victims? Oh, probably something quite dramatic, something with a little bit of like pizzazz, like maybe a mirror ball or something like that, because I've got to bring the camp to it if I am doing that. <laughs> Maybe like I'll single white female them with a stiletto. That's always stuck with me from when I was younger. And Jennifer Jason Lee just stabs that guy through the eye with a big stiletto shoe. So that, that could be my thing, really. Like a big six-inch heel or something like that. See, when I was asked this question, without any hesitation, I said I'd stab someone a hundred times. And apparently that means I need, you know, psychological evaluation. <laughs> I like the conviction as well. I'd, I'd stop them on a hundred times. <laughs> like, at least I had to pretend to think about it. Like, um... yeah. <laughs> Just off screen, I've got my stiletto that I'm thinking of, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, apparently that means I need help. Well, oh, it seems perfectly normal to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They won't ask me that question again, will they? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> And I am now going to spend the whole night thinking, is that how I would kill somebody? That's going to be before us. It's going to be sat there watching Bake Off with me later, like, are, are you okay? <laughs> Should I be worried? <laughs> See, I like to interview and, you know, give you something to think about after. It's, there it's, you go, it's... that's it. It's, it's like inspiration, really, isn't it? <laughs> oh. um, if you were to take out one of your characters for a meal who would you choose and what would you ask them um my book's only really got about three possibly four sort of characters in it um so I would probably take out Sarah herself like the main the main title and I would I would be very much like are you okay blink twice if you need help obviously <laughs> I know she needs help but if I didn't I'd be like do you want to should we Sneak out the back exit and just get you away from all of this awfulness that's happening to you. <laughs> Everybody else in the book's not that nice, so it's probably just going to be Sarah that has to go out for a meal. 
<laughs> um, uh, did you have to do a lot of research for your books? Books, I, I, say? I did, I did, and I didn't re- like because it deals with a lot of um, it deals with a lot of like domestic violence. Um, it's like quite a, a reoccurring theme in the book, so I, I wanted to not sensationalize it. Really, I just wanted to make sure that it was that it was factual. So even though it, it sort of falls under like an extreme horror banner, it there's nothing there that that's there for for shock value it, it happens to to genuinely like move the story sort of over so i had to do like a little bit, a little bit of reading up on on like the longer term effects of domestic violence and how how it can affect people mentally but um i it as a story itself it's it's quite isolated so i was lucky in the sense that I just had to have a right clear idea of where the characters were going. Most of it set in either one specific room with the the A story and then Sarah's story. 90% of that happens in her terraced house in a street in Liverpool. And I live in a terraced house in a street in Liverpool. So that the research was wandering around my house, really going, oh yeah, this is what a terraced house looks like. That's fine. Um the, the, the there's like a a Celtic deity that's in it so I did find I did a little bit of reading up on on her as a as a like a sort of entity and a deity to see if she would fit into the story um and from what I read it was absolutely I was a nerdy Greek god obsessed kid I liked a lot of Xena and Hercules when I was growing up um so to 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 sort of study mythology that's a bit closer to home was was interesting so it was a fair few nights reading up on stuff like that and then Netflix, I was like really proud of myself. I was like, oh, I've picked a deity that not that many people know of. <gasps> I'm so clever. And then we watched this Netflix show about the sword and the stone. And one of the episodes, the villain of the week was the deity that I'd picked. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. So me and Netflix have picked the same <laughs> sort of person to go for. Brilliant. And then it was nice because they said the, the entity's name and I was like, oh, I am saying it right in my head the whole time. It's not another Hermione situation where I was reading her name wrong for years until the movie came out. <laughs> yeah. No, she said, um, J.K. Rowling, that she did in the um, Goblet of Fire when yeah. um, Chrome comes over, she spell it out for him to say so that everyone yeah. else could... Which is quite clever. I like that. <laughs> yeah, because it. But I was not saying Hermione when I was reading it in the first two books. I don't know what I was like Hermione or something. And then yeah. when she's like, oh, that <laughs> makes sense. It, yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you hide any secret jokes, messages, or Easter eggs in your books? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, there's there's a <laughs> sentence that's drop rock death. Um, it's it's a firm agreement with Terry that every book I write will have the sentence drop rock death because in one of the earlier books that I'd written a million years ago that I didn't naturally finish but he read half of um there there was a fight and I was like moaning to him like oh I can't figure out how to kill this character I need I need like a quite an impactful death and he was like drop rock on them and I was like I'll just drop a rock on somebody he was like drop rock death and it's just kind of like stuck as a reoccurring joke for us. So in this book, there's quite an intense scene and then someone utters the sentence, drop, drop, death. 
And that's going to have to be like in every book I write now, that one <laughs> sentence is going to have to find an organic way of, of going in or I'm in trouble, I think, really. <laughs> but other than that, I'm not a clever enough writer to hide things in my books. I'm quite, this is the story. I'm not like a big, here's a little Easter egg for you. It's quite a straight up story, to be honest. <laughs> Oh my god! I read one recently. There's a competition to find over thirty Easter eggs. Oh my god! Like the Did the you energy. find them all? I don't know yet. It doesn't close to <laughs> the end of June, so yeah. I'd love Ages. to be like that. I'd love to be that. Like, here's a little Easter egg, and I just no. It took me long enough to write the first book without trying to be clever. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to then force myself to try and go back and pop little bits into the story. Some of them were clever, like um, I think he named the company over um, the two names of this chocolate company were the two Jack the Ripper suspect surnames, which I thought was quite clever. Yeah, um, that's quite good. Yeah, I can't remember what else. There was so, there were loads, but yeah, it was very clever. But it was so hard to read because you're just like, is that one? <laughs> They're writing it down yeah. or googling. Oh. Yeah, I think I, I kind of take away a little bit from me just enjoying the book as well. If my brain was constantly trying to keep track of little little Easter eggs and stuff. But mine's quite a simple a sentence. And it even says it on the dedication, drop, drop, death, just so that people can see it later on in the book. That's how subtle I am as a person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who needs subtlety anyway? <laughs> it's overrated. Very much so. <laughs> oh, dear. Um... Have you uh, killed off anyone that you dislike in the book? <laughs> no, but in the one I'm writing at the moment, um, my best friend has personally requested that I kind of kill him off in it. Um, it's it's about a, like a psychic crab cult that I'm going for, and he is pathologically terrified of crabs. So I don't know if this is like some kind of therapy for him, or it's just really going to give them some horrific, horrific nightmares. Um, I've not got to it yet, but I am planning. If someone says to me, oh, kill me off and make it off, I'll be like, oh, okay, fair enough. I've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> um, do you have any phobias and would you write about them? I have this weird thing with moths. Like, they really creep me out. When I was really young, I have um, really sensitive eardrums. Like, I'm weirdly, like, if the temperature changes and it goes too hot or too cold, it feels like my ears are going to just straight up fall off and I get really bad pain for it. But I've been like that since I was a kid. Unfortunately, I lived in Aberdeen, which is snow central when I was a child. So every winter, without fail, I would have agony in my ears. And we were watching an episode of Casualty once, and this kid was on there complaining about their ears. And I was like, oh, my God, it's me. So they went into casualty and they pulled a bloody moth out of this child's ear. And from then on, I cannot be in the same room as a moth because I am convinced they're just going to go straight in my ears. And that's that. So, yeah, only moths. And I probably wouldn't write about them, to be honest. Like, I have no inclination to write. I can't even be in a room with one, let alone let one sit in my brain long enough to be part of a story. <laughs> I swear every child of, I guess, our generation has that exact same fear because I remember that episode as well. And Oh, it's awful, isn't it? Yeah. 
just oh yeah and i know people was, my age as well oh. <laughs> and there was one on a waltzer car as well where somebody fell off and got trapped under a waltzer car and that even now when i go to the fair if i do go on the waltz i kind of hold on like i'm not moving anywhere <laughs> it's just traumatic <laughs> my mom was obviously the generation i was on the bbc it's fine for the kids and i'd watch it and be like what what's just <laughs> happened this is why i've written up grown-ups write extreme horror i'm blaming casualty I thought I was a nice person, but casualties clearly twisted my young brain. 